in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's this church in Corinth, and this, this little church is made up of a lot of God-fearing Jews who come from a long, long line of generations of God-fearing Jews. It's also made up of God-fearing Gentiles who just two or three months earlier had been idol-worshiping pagans. And so you've got these Jews and Gentiles together in the same church, and they are united by Christ. They are saved by the grace of God. They are worshiping and serving each other with each other. They're eating and drinking together around the Lord's table. These Jews and Gentiles are in the same church, but there is this issue between them of meat that's been sacrificed to idols. So the grocery stores in Corinth all sold meat, but the understanding was that meat had been sacrificed at Aphrodite's temple downtown the evening before. You could grill burgers for your life group on Sunday night, but that meat that you bought at the Corinthian Piggly Wiggly, that had been on the altar at Apollo's temple the day before. And some people thought that was okay. No big deal. It's just meat. That doesn't matter. Other people in the church thought it was a really big deal. And it became a problem. You know, little Isaac from the Jewish family invites little Philip over for lunch after church, and that's fine. Philip's Gentile parents are, are good with that. But the very next Sunday, maybe Philip invites little Isaac over to his house to play, and Isaac's parents say, there's no way we're doing that. They might serve him meat that's been sacrificed to idols. It was a problem in this church. Only church in the history of the world that's had a problem like this. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just right in the middle of the letter, Paul goes into pretty good detail about how you eat and drink together and stay together. And basically what he says is, what's going on with the meat doesn't matter. That's little stuff. How you feel about the meat individually, guess what? Doesn't matter. That's little stuff. The big stuff, he says, is that you love one another. The big stuff is that you stay together. And at the end of this section, he completes it in verse 31 by saying, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anybody to stumble. Jews, Greeks, the whole church, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The glory of God is a pretty big deal. Glory is about Christian unity. Glory is about salvation. It's about evangelism. It's about Christian transformation. Paul says, follow the example of Christ. It reminds me of Colossians 1. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible tells us we were made to glorify God. That's our purpose to bring God glory. We read this in all of the scriptures. We sing it in a lot of our songs. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, right? We know that song. Glory to God in the highest. 
right? Ephesians 3 reminds us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The whole church says, Amen. Well, what are we amening? Do we even know? What does it mean to bring glory to God? We bring glory to God when we reflect God's glory. We bring glory to God by reflecting God's glory. In Exodus 34, God reveals his glory to us. Here's what glory means. Back in chapter 33, we kind of get the setting here. Moses is on a holy mountain. He's having this back-and-forth conversation with God. They've, they've just come through this golden calf thing, and all the people have been punished, and the Ten Commandments have been ground into dust, and there's, there's still a lot of stuff up in the air here. There's still some uncertainties. There are still some questions about God and his people. And Moses tells God, show me your glory. I want to see your face, God. I've heard your voice in the burning bush. I've seen your finger writing on the tablets. I've seen the smoke on the mountain. But God, before we go any farther, I need to see who I'm talking to. I need to see your face. I need to know who you are, Moses says. Show me your glory. And the Lord answers. Verse 19, he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. His goodness, not his face. The glory of God has nothing to do what God, with what God looks like. It's not a physical thing. This is about God's honor and character. This is about God's eternal qualities and his personality. This is God's DNA right here. This is who God is. Starting in chapter 34, the Lord makes a plan for Moses. He tells Moses where to stand and what to bring. And then the very next morning it happens. Verse 5, chapter four, uh, 34, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the single most important statement about our God in the whole Bible. This is God's holy name. This is who he is. This is his character. This is God's will. And we're spending all year together as a church family in this passage because we want to get these holy words inside of us. We want these words buried in our hearts and souls. We want these words to become embedded deep in our bones. We want these words to become who we are as a church because this is who God is. As his children created in his image, church this is who we want to be. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Brothers and sisters, God's patience is his glory. 
a man was walking through a grocery store one day and he had a screaming infant in the shopping cart with him. This kid was screaming bloody murder and everybody in the store could hear. And as the man is walking up and down the aisles, trying to do his shopping with this screaming kid in the cart, the man kept saying out loud, calm down, Albert, be calm, Albert. Try to be cool, Albert. And the kid just kept screaming. And finally, this lady who'd been watching and listening walked up to him and said, Albert, uh, said, I am so uh, uh, impressed with the patience you're showing here to little Albert. And the guy said, lady, I'm Albert. (laughs) (laughs) Patience is tough. It is for me. I figure it is for you. Especially today, you know, we don't just have cars and TVs and microwave ovens. We've got cell phones and computers and and AI and 5G and we've got drive-throughs for everything and we've got online for everything else and that is making us a less patient people. Some of you wish you were listening to me right now at one and a half speed. I know you do. Or two times the speed. When is this going to be over? I know. You know, I can tap my card now at the store. I don't have to insert it. I don't have to hit any buttons. I just tap it. And if it takes more than three seconds for that transaction to go through, the clerk and I both look at each other awkwardly. The clerk will apologize to me that it took three seconds instead of two. We're a very impatient people. And that is very not like our Lord. Our Lord is slow to anger. Actually, here in this verse, it's, it's two words in the original Hebrew language. The words are arake off. Arake means long. Off means nose. God says in this verse, I have a long nose. Some of you bear a striking resemblance to your heavenly father, I'm telling you. And I know I'm the last one to speak. I understand. I want to look like my father. But, but having a long nose or being long of nose, that's just a Hebrew idiom that means having patience or it means controlling your anger. The Hebrews believed that anger initiated in the nasal cavities. During allergy season, some of you are like, yeah, that makes sense. I understand that, right? And so the Hebrews considered the nose the source of anger. And a lot of scholars believe this might have something to do with the fact that when you're losing your cool, sometimes your nose turns red. And so that's, that's where your anger is. And so long-nosed means you're patient. Stiff-necked means you're stubborn. When we say somebody's high-handed, it means they're doing something intentionally, right? We'll say somebody has loose lips or somebody's got a stick in the crawl somebody's you know we know what these things mean that communicates to us and being long of nose means you're patient this is not a physical description it's not what God looks like it's who he is he is slow to anger our God is patient oh my is he patient from the very beginning of time for some reason we decided early on in the garden that we know better than God. We're smarter than God. We've got more things figured out than God. And whatever limits God's putting on us are oppressive. And so early on, we sinned. We rebelled against God. And we sinned. 
and we blamed Satan, and we blamed each other, and we argued with God about it, but we sin against God. And he covers us. He clothes us. He protects us, and he provides for us. And then we kill our brother out in the field, and God puts a mark on us so we won't be destroyed. God is patient. The whole Old Testament is a very dark picture of the rebellion of God's people. They only do what's right in their own eyes. They're worshiping Baal and Asherah. They're, they're forsaking the Lord. They turn their backs on him, and yet our God delivers them again and again and again. God's people are running away from him with everything they've got, and they are always running straight into more and more trouble. And God keeps rescuing them. All through the judges, all through the kings and the prophets, it's, it's nothing but idolatry and rebellion and sin. And in Israel's prayer of confession in Nehemiah 9, the priest says, they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. But you were patient with them. In your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. Why? For you are a gracious and merciful God. Church, it has always been like this. God makes his promises to Noah, and Noah gets drunk and naked. After the covenant with Abraham, Abraham goes off and does his own thing with Hagar. God makes his promises to Israel, and they respond by building a golden calf before the stone can even set. After he makes promises to David, the great king tries to break all Ten Commandments in one weekend, and he almost does it. And after 1,500 years of this rebellion, surely our Lord is going to end it with these losers. Certainly he's going to destroy these stubborn, ungrateful people and start over with somebody else, or he's just going to quit. But no. The Lord our God sends Jesus in an act of astonishing grace and incredible patience he sends Jesus Galatians 4 says when the time had fully come or when the time was right God sent his son Romans chapter 5 says at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Our God is slow to anger. He is patient. He waits. He delays. He is so patient. This is who he is. This is our God's glory. We've already read it a couple of times. 2 Peter chapter 3. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our God is eternal. He always was and always will be. 
And so God does not experience time the same ways that we do. God's got a much different perspective on clocks and calendars. And, and what seems like ages to us is just a blink to our God. If my computer doesn't complete my Google search in less than five seconds, I get impatient. I get impatient in line at the bank. I get impatient with my garage door because it opens too slowly. That is not like my God. God is patient. God is willing to let entire centuries go by. God lets millennia pass while he works out his eternal purposes for you and me and for this whole world. Peter is writing this passage to a bunch of people who believe that this delay in Christ's return means that God's not faithful or God's not acting with humans anymore or maybe God's just kind of quit he's gone away and Peter says no no it's just the opposite God's delay in sending his son back to earth is a sign of his deep love and concern for you and for all humanity God is waiting he is patiently waiting for people to repent he doesn't want anyone to perish he wants everybody to be saved. Romans 2 says it's this patience of God, the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, it says, that leads to repentance. Verse 15 of this second Peter 3, our Lord's patience means salvation. First Timothy 2, God wants everybody to be saved. And that's why he waits. Praise God for his patience. Amen. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16. 1 Timothy 1. Listen to Paul. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. God saved Paul, this blasphemer, this personal persecutor of the Lord and his church, this violent man who is deserving of death, this self-proclaimed worst sinner in the world, God saved him. Not just as an act of love and mercy, as amazing and beautiful as that is, but Paul says, I'm a showcase for God's unlimited patience. I'm the display. I'm the model. I'm the picture of all hostile, sinful rebels against God whom God tolerates while working for and waiting for their repentance and salvation. And it is so amazing, church, and it is so wonderful, God's patience, that Paul just breaks out into praise. He can't help it. Look at verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now listen to this. 
This is important. Pay attention to this. Paul is saying, look at me. Look at my sins. Look at my rebellion against God. It doesn't get any worse than me. That's what Paul says. But God was patient with me. Patient. And look what's happened. And look what is happening. Only God. Honor and glory. Amen. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. This is so important. There was a time in my life when all I thought about was me. All I cared about was my career. And I stepped over a lot of people and I hurt a lot of people. People I loved. My own brothers and sisters in Christ. To try to get a controversial quote or try to get an inside scoop on what I thought was a big story. I only associated with people I thought could give me more access and more control and more power. I surrendered my integrity and my values to get higher ratings for my shows. I paid more attention to the women at work than I did to my own wife. And I neglected my kids. And I was not good. But God was patient with me. And look what's happened. And look what is happening. Only God, honor and glory, amen? amen. Now, what's your story? Because you've got one. God has been very patient with you. Now, I understand God's patience with me. I know it. God knows. I get it. That my God has been patient with me. He has been long-suffering with me. He has been slow to anger with me. I get it. And what do I do? I get impatient with you. I get frustrated and irritated with you. And I get frustrated and irritated and impatient with my family and with my friends and with my coworkers. I am an impatient person. And that is so not like my Lord. God has shown you great patience. Only in order to save you has he been slow to anger with you. How do you respond? By getting impatient with me. You get impatient and frustrated with your family and with your friends and with your coworkers. We get impatient with each other in here. I know it happens because we're human. It's so not like our Lord. James chapter 5. Listen to the brother of Jesus. He writes, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is. 
for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. See, my problem is I want everything right now. I want everything to be perfect right now. I want to be a spiritual giant right now. I want to be without sin right now. I want to be the best husband and the best father and the best preacher in the world right now. I want this church to be perfect right now. I want all of us, everybody in here, and maybe you want the same things. I'm assuming you do. I want all of us to be without sin. I want all of us to be a church that loves and encourages and edifies and serves and worships together. But I know, and you know too, those things don't happen overnight. Some of those things may not happen this side of glory. It's a process. It's a deliberate process that God is working out very patiently with us. And there are lots of ups and downs, and there are lots of victories and defeats, and it's one step forward, and, and sometimes it is two steps back. And I think that during the process, it's tempting, and sometimes I'm afraid it's, it's easy to become impatient with one another. We grumble and we complain and bicker and argue, and, and we have no patience with each other. Eric Hoffer in the 1960s wrote, it is easier to love all of humanity than it is to love your brother. The old preacher at the church when I grew up, when I was a little kid, Joe Malone, he used to always say this. I love this. He'd say, to walk in love with the saints above will be a wondrous glory. To walk below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. We're not a very patient people. You know, we could all wear the little kid's T-shirt. You know the T-shirt. Be patient. God's not finished with me yet. We could all wear that same shirt. Be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Be patient with this church. God is not finished with it yet. Can I get an amen? Be patient with your elders. God's not finished with them yet. Be patient with your life group leader. Be patient with the clods in your Bible class. Be patient with the preacher. God is not finished with us yet. The Bible says we're in a continual process of being transformed. 2 Corinthians 3, I love this. We all reflect the Lord's glory. We're all being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is patiently working to transform us into the image of God people that he has saved us and called us to be. And so, brothers and sisters, we can afford to be patient with each other because we know we're not finished yet. I cannot walk into the kitchen and pull Carrie Ann's lasagna out of the oven and criticize it for being flat or watery if it's only been in the oven for two and a half minutes. Right? She'll let me know, hey, dummy, that's only been in the oven for three minutes. It's not done yet. How can I criticize something or someone who's not finished yet? We don't put baseball players in the Hall of Fame after just one season, right? We wait till they're finished. Just because you graduated medical school yesterday doesn't mean you're doing open heart surgery tomorrow. 
right? We know this. Lance Armstrong did not win the Tour de France the very first time he ever rode a bike. He had training wheels, right? And not as many performance-enhancing drugs. But you get the point, <laughs> right? The point is we don't make judgments until everybody, everything's finished. Nobody in here is finished, amen? Nobody in this room has arrived yet. But by God's grace and with his patience, we're getting there. How can we fuss at each other or get frustrated with anybody in our church family? God's still working on us. He is still transforming us. We are always becoming who we are meant to be. And so let's cut each other some slack in here and out there. All right, go back to James 5 and this, this farming illustration to end with here. The farmer waits patiently. Look at verse 7. See how patient he is. And the emphasis is double here. It's not just on the farmer's patience, but it's also on the surety of the farmer that the rains and the harvest will indeed come at the right time. The waiting, that's hard. The great American poet, Tom Petty, says the waiting is the hardest part. We know this. And it's tough on this farmer because he's, he's waiting on the weather and he's waiting on a lot of things that are totally out of his control. And it's kind of like us in the kingdom of God today. We are waiting for God to fulfill completely everything he's promised us he's going to do. And that's not easy. But there is a certainty here that everything is eventually going to be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, take the prophets, verse 11. You've, you've heard of Job's perseverance. You've, you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The glory of our God is his patience. God's very name is patience. And his patience is our salvation. And we want to bring that glory of God into every one of our contexts, in here and out there. We want to be a people who are slow to anger and consistently patient, period. No fine print, no loopholes, no escape clauses, no exceptions. We don't reflect the glory of God to everybody in the world except people who don't look like us or except to people who don't agree with us. We're not patient with everybody in the world only when we're happy or when we're comfortable. The Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of our God. Amen? Stand with me, church. I want to invite you, I'm going to invite all of us to do something while we sing this song. I want you to find somebody in this room and I want you to walk up to them. It can be somebody on the same row. It can't be somebody you're sitting by, okay? I want you to look them right in the eye and say, be patient. God's not finished with me yet. That'll serve two purposes. One, I need to hear somebody tell me that. I need you to remind me that you're not done and I need to be patient with you. It will also serve this purpose. It'll remind me that I'm not done, and you need to be patient with me. Listen, we live in a harsh world, 
Our world is not slow to anger. The world we live in is quick to anger, very fast to judge. Our world's in a hurry to criticize and condemn. That's the world we live in. And this world today needs a shock absorber. We, we are that shock absorber. We are that patient, slow to anger, long-suffering people. And we need to demonstrate God's patience in here and out there. We need to show patience to one another in here and to everyone we know out there because our God has demonstrated incredible patience for us. Amen. Let's sing.